Has anybody seen the, the movie Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah. You saw it, of course. Good, 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 because you're in my story about it, so that makes sense. Okay, um, okay so a couple of you. Okay. It's, uh, it's a, a thriller, I guess you could call. Um, it's, it's a movie where it's, it's shot on this, this island, and it is um, intense. There's a lot of uh, scary parts. And, and Tim and I watched it, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago. And one, I very much love Leonardo DiCaprio and I love his acting, so I was very intrigued. I also hate scary movies and so I wanted to pull away. So it was very much a tension in watching this movie. Um, so we're watching the movie, we're sitting in our living room, our dogs are on the, the couch with us. And I am very much, uh, I'm very reactive when I watch when I watch movies. I respond very quickly, usually pretty loudly. I don't, I'm not necessarily narrating what I'm thinking or, oh gosh, why is she going? Like, I don't necessarily do that. But when something happens, lots of noise is coming, is coming <laughs> out of me. Like, I'm, I'm pretty responsive, pretty reactive. So, especially when we're watching a, a scary movie, that certainly happens. So, again, we're, we're seated in our living room and everything that's coming up on the screen is is sort of just freaking me out, right? It's, it's scary and terrifying and um, really, really suspenseful. And for whatever reason, whenever I feel nervous, I particularly feel vulnerable in my neck, so I end up sitting like this. I have no reason for it other than I just feel vulnerable, so I just end up like watching movies like this and then I'm tense. And So throughout the movie, I'm having to continue to remind myself that what I'm watching is not real, right? And so I, I I'm so drawn and caught up into this story that I'm watching that I'm believing it's real and my body and my mind are responding as if what I'm seeing on this screen is real, right? That not only is Leonardo DiCaprio about to get ambushed, I am as well. I'm so, I'm so into this that I'm thinking, yes, at any point I could be attacked, I could lose my life, I'm in, I'm in danger. And so then when I realize that I'm in physical pain because my body has been so clenched for five minutes, I realize, okay, I might need to back, back down for a second. So I have to talk myself through, okay, Mallory, you're not in danger. You're not on this island with Leonardo DiCaprio. As much as you might like to be, you're not on the <laughs> island with him, right? You're safe. You're in your living room. You're on your couch. Your dogs are here. Your husband's there. Everything's fine. And so I rem remind myself, okay, this is what's true. And then I turn my eyes back to the TV, and within a few minutes, I'm drawn back into that narrative because it is so captivating. The reason I highlight this, and whether or not you've seen that particular movie, you've had that same experience in the movie theater or at home watching, watching a, a film. Um, <clears throat> I say that to point to the concept of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, we could talk about it in a lot of different ways, but to me, particularly for our purposes, the way I want to set it up is the kingdom of God is the truest story. It is the truest form of reality. It is God's reality. It is the reality in which God is ruling and reigning and all things are as they are meant to be. That is the kingdom of God. And yet, it is one narrative among others. There are many competing narratives that vie for our attention, our time, our senses, our beliefs, our practices. And so at any given time, we are actually situated in the kingdom of God as our truest form of reality. 
But there are a ton of different stories being played on that TV screen that we are buying into believing that's actually the truest form of reality. And so like me sitting on my couch, not actually believing that I'm safe and with my husband and I'm okay, I'm actually believing that, that I need to be afraid, I need to protect myself in this moment because anything could happen in this suspenseful, suspenseful thriller. We are uh, given so very many different competing narratives that tell us, no, no, this is the truest form of reality. This is what is actually true, and this is what you should root your life in, and this is what uh, should help define things for mm. you. And these can come in overt and more covert ways. They can be direct and indirect. They can be on a smaller scale or on a really grand scale. So let's, let's talk about a few of, of what those options might be, particularly as we're talking about this concept of, of forgiveness. Because if the kingdom of God is not the truest form of reality, then I'm here to tell you that forgiveness is a really silly practice. If I did not believe that the kingdom of God is our truest form of reality, then I would not be here encouraging us to grow in the practice of forgiveness. We have to be rooted in that particular story. Otherwise, the idea of extending and receiving forgiveness is just utter foolishness. It doesn't make sense. Because the other narratives that we are offered, the other stories that we're seeing on that TV screen, whether they're political, social, familial, cultural, whatever they may be, are telling us a different narrative wherein the concept of Submitting to a, an, a fairly vulnerable process like forgiveness, again, it's just absurd. It's not smart, it's not wise. Unless the kingdom really is our truest reality. So political narratives that we might, um, that we might find ourselves rooted in or exposed to or informed by. Uh, and by narrative, I just mean, I don't mean a, a fairy tale or story, I just mean some version of reality that has been communicated to us, right? Some sort of structure that says this is what's reality, this is what's, what's true. So political narrative that, that we have been exposed to here in the United States, when we are attacked, we're going to respond. When someone strikes us, we're going to strike back. Okay, now I'm just putting it out there. My point is not to critique. That would be a whole other conversation. But just to put out the fact that this is a narrative that we are, are hearing in and receiving. So if that's the story that we're believing is most true, then the idea of forgiveness doesn't quite make sense. Or we could say, well, in my heart I might forgive, but I'm going to respond this way, right? If I'm, if I'm attacked, I'm going to attack back. That's a narrative that informs the way we think about forgiveness. We think about our relationships with others. Um, socially, there might be some, again, direct or indirect narratives that we pick up socially, such as, um, I have to stake my claim in this world. I have to hold my ground because that is my only way to ensure survival. <clears throat> this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world, therefore, um, I've got to look out for me. And in that narrative, the idea of vulnerably submitting to a process of forgiveness seems absurd. Because you are saying, um, 
I'm going to choose to not be the person that is entirely in control of this, or at least believe that you can be in control of it, that I'm going to uh, hold my ground and make sure that everything's okay so that I can pave my way. You're saying if, if you're gonna t going to practice forgiveness in that, within that narrative, you're saying I have to release that. And I have to trust that someone or something beyond me can help hold me when I can't quite hold myself. That sounds pretty absurd, right? Um, a, a, a cultural narrative might be how we define strength culturally. So when we think about the concept of strength, what does that mean? What does that look like? How, how do we encourage and promote certain ways of thinking about how you are strong as a human being and, and what, that, what that means and what it means to self-protect, <coughs> to ensure your own sense of survival and prosperity and so forth. Within that narrative, the concept of forgiveness is going to look a particular way. Or it could be a familial narrative. Within your own family systems, there are a host of narratives by which your families operated and probably continue to operate that we, uh, we pick up on. And we take that into our reality and our lived experiences. And so it could be a host of narratives, some fairly benign, um, some, more, um, some, some less healthy, if you will, some that are more powerful and continue to hold sway and continue to become the narratives by which we operate and live our lives and buy into a certain view of reality. So maybe in your family the story was, we don't talk about it. We just don't talk about it. We don't name those things. We just keep moving on. So if that's your family narrative, then, then where could a concept like forgiveness factor into that? Because as we'll talk about in future weeks, one of the absolute essential aspects of forgiveness is naming what happened. It's truth-telling. It's being honest. It's not hiding something under a rug. It's speaking truth. It's naming what has occurred. But if the family narrative is, we just don't, we don't talk about that. We just keep our heads up and keep moving. There's no room for truth-telling. There's no room within that narrative to say what has actually gone on, the harm that has occurred the unhealthy patterns or practices and so forth. Um, or a family narrative might be, no matter what happens, again, you keep your head up, you keep going. We have to, um, we have to protect ourselves, we have to look out for ourselves because no one else is going to. So if you are, if you buy into that story, then there is very little room or time for reflection on how do I extend and receive forgiveness because you are so, uh, so focused on the felt need to self-protect, to keep going, to keep your head up. And there could be a whole other host of, of narratives that we can think about and we'll hopefully have a few minutes to sort of discuss that. Um, but just to give us some examples of particular narratives that we have been exposed to, some that are more obvious to us, some that are not so obvious, some that are a little bit more insidious perhaps, but still they all hold, hold power over the way that we think about anything and for our purposes the way that we think about a concept of forgiveness. And so again, I want to suggest that the kingdom of God is the truest narrative. It is the truest form of reality it is God's reality. And all those other narratives must be filtered through 
the narrative of the kingdom of God. They find their meaning or they find their destruction. They find their um, re-evaluation in the kingdom of God. So what I hope that we are able to do as we're even beginning to think about this messy, beautiful kingdom practice of forgiveness is what stories are playing on that screen that are informing the ways that we are thinking and feeling and acting? In what ways are we tucking up and covering our necks and, and sort of um, shying away from the screen because we're so scared when in reality what's true is we're actually safe in our living room and we're okay? Or when in reality God is the one in control, God has promised to bring about God's kingdom Death and evil and darkness have already been defeated through the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, we can trust that that will come to pass in its fullness and so forth. Because forgiveness, and again, we'll talk about more in future weeks specifically, what is forgiveness and what isn't. What isn't. But in a certain way, forgiveness is saying yes to the kingdom being true. It is a practice whereby we enter more fully into that story of the kingdom of God. We enter more fully into that reality of God's kingdom. And we say, okay, if this really is true, if the kingdom of God really is the truest form of reality, then I understand why I might be called to extend forgiveness to my family or to a group of people or to friends or to myself, or to God. I might understand why I'm being called to receive forgiveness, because that's actually a liberating thing. It is a good thing within the kingdom of God to name. I don't have to be the one to hold it all together. I get to be imperfect and flawed, because God has invited us into our fullest experience of what it means to be a human being through our salvation. Therefore, I can submit to this type of really messy and vulnerable process. When we choose to extend and receive forgiveness, it is in a way saying, no matter what other narratives are being told, no matter what other stories have my attention, no matter what other stories are shaping, have shaped the way that I think and feel and exist in this world, I believe that the kingdom is the truest reality. And so I will respond in kind. I will respond as if that really is true. And I'm just convinced that if we don't believe that the kingdom is the truest, the kingdom of God is the truest form of reality, it is the truest story, then again, the idea of forgiveness is totally absurd. It's not worthwhile. And it certainly wouldn't be something that I would be sitting here committing to us and say, I think we should grow in this practice. But because I do believe that God's kingdom is, again, the truest form of, of, of reality, then I want to commend this idea of forgiveness, this concept, this practice of, of forgiveness. Um, so I want that to be our our sort of starting point, because anything that we talk about for the next few weeks, anything having to do for, with forgiveness, what we are going to do is uh, each of us uh, privately are naturally going to begin filtering those thoughts and concepts and images through all of the stories that we have that we're operating by. 
all those tabs that are open in our mind that are saying, no, no, this is what's true. This is how you define reality. This is how you define who you are and so forth. This is what matters. This is how you protect yourself. This is why you even would need to protect yourself. And so we have all those tabs sort of open in our mind and everything we hear and think about is going to be filtered through those stories. And there's really no way to escape that. That's just part of embodied existence that we, we have all these, these narratives that have shaped and continue to shape us. But I think it's incredibly important for us to be aware of those various stories. So that when we hear a concept and we begin to talk about something like forgiveness or we hear a story of someone who's sharing about their, their experiences, we can be mindful of, why did I respond that way? Why did that make me anxious? Why did I begin to, to use my example, sort of cover my neck and feel like I feel really vulnerable in this moment? Um, Why did that bring up anger for me? And we might begin to, to become aware of those tabs and go, okay, this reminds me of the narrative that my family operated by, such as we don't talk about it. And we can begin to see why we might be responding to a concept like forgiveness in a room like this, even when our family is not present. Though through that narrative in a way they are, right? Because it continues to shape the way we were thinking and feeling and and existing. So again, I hope that we can increase our awareness of some of those stories and then then begin asking, okay, if, if the kingdom of God is the truest narrative, it's the truest form of reality, then how does that speak to these other narratives? How does that reshape them? How does that redefine those stories? Are there ones that we need to reject entirely? Are there ones that we might need to just to see through a different lens and a different light? And so forth. Is that making sense? I hope so. So, um, I want to open up just some space to, if you want to, to just sort of begin discussing and thinking through even what are some of those narratives that you might be aware of that are operating um, within, within your life. Again, whether it's on a smaller scale, uh, more of a personal or familial narrative, or perhaps something much larger socio-politically or uh, economically, socially, culturally. Uh, and maybe we can begin just talking about some of those narratives and how they might even shape the way that we think about the concept of forgiveness from the very outset. Can I give an inflammatory one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> political campaign was very difficult for me. I was very much on one side. I'm very liberal uh, politically, and it was very hard for me when um, the winner won. And I knew that a large number of people in this congregation had voted for that person. And I was going to be standing among them, singing songs about forgiveness and love and uh, how happy we all are together and it was going to be hard. Mm. I was not going to feel. I was going to feel almost as I am along with this group anymore. Mm-hmm. That uh, I, I, I couldn't understand how the religion that had, I thought shaped me, the thought patterns 
-hmm. of the community had shaped me, why it hadn't shaped them. They'd been hearing the same stories that I'd been hearing. So with all that going on in my head and feeling, you know, I don't want them. <laughs> and I can't say anything about it. I was listening to um, uh, an MSNBC uh, commentator, and I think he's Muslim. I'm not sure. I don't know if you've seen him or not. He's he's brown. Is he's a beautiful face. No, he has um, gray hair like mine, which he shapes up. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. What's his name? <laughs> I can't think. I can't think who he is. Can't think of his name. But he said, "This has been the darkest time of my life." And uh, I've been thinking about how, how are we going to, how am I going to deal with this? He said, "I cannot give in to the principles that are being proclaimed, but I have to live with all these other people, and I think it is going to be incumbent on all of us." love our neighbors. And I thought, <coughs> it took a Muslim to remind <laughs> me. It took a Muslim to remind me that I must love my neighbors. I don't have to agree, agree with the political stance, with the political posturing. I don't have to agree with the point of view of, of the present administration. I can still resist those ideas, that ideology. But I must love my neighbors. I must love the people who are standing around me, people on the pew next to me. I remember C.S. Lewis said something very similar, and we <laughs> he realized that meant you love this guy. <laughs> uh, and treat him the way I want him to be treated. And so that, that helped me <coughs> exhale <laughs> and not be so angry about I felt at the end of the, the election. Um, but just to learn to love the people around me and not be, be concerned about their political preferences. Even though I might think, if they just let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the way I went through life thinking about Jerry's mother. If she would just let me explain. <laughs> I could explain that to her. But... Um, I think I have been able somewhat to do that mm. and not be concerned about what their political uh, postures were mm. and uh, love love the people I'm worshiping with, mm. try to love the people I'm <laughs> uh, Forgive them that they don't have the right answers the way I always do. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, I have to remember that sin Jesus most targeted was self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. Thinking I know it all. Thinking I have the best answer. Mm -hmm. That's the sin he pointed at most often. Mm -hmm. And to ask forgiveness for that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think you took only one that partially while I'm in this class is the political thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And what repercussions there will be for my grandchildren if the world changes like <coughs> people want it to change. Mm -hmm. 
where's the example? The example that we're getting from the person who's on top now is if you hit me, I'll hit you back 10 times as hard. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the message. Mm -hmm. But then I think about the examples we've had just in the recent years of incredible levels of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So I think about the parishioners at Mother Emanuel, Amy mm -hmm. Church in Charleston. Yeah. I think about uh, the Amish and the Nevenheims Massacre. Yeah. And, you know, in the very day of you know, making your way to the mother of the killer mm -hmm. and saying, you know, we forget. So, you know, it is possible mm. to do that. But I think you're right. It's uh, framework for that is this kingdom reality. Mm -hmm. So to what extent do we buy into that or not? Or do we buy into these other narratives? Sure. One of the narratives that I think is <coughs> difficult is that uh, forgiveness lets them off the hook. Mm -hmm. That, you know, forgive all those Trump voters and then they get to just kind of go on and do whatever and, you know, can go along with whatever Trump does. And uh, that's, that's, I don't think, very helpful. Um, I don't think forgiveness does let people off the hook. Um, it, it's much more about the person doing the forgiving. Um, so what are the examples in our kind of recent political <coughs> history that I found very useful is that um, in the like anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, what really had to come was the truth-telling, was the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions where people publicly stood formally and told the terrible things that happened. And the people that were a part of that system that had upheld that or had turned a blind eye to it had to hear it and had to sit with it in a very formal, public, official way. Um, and that, that is obviously ideal <laughs> in uh, kind of like large scale social, especially crimes. But um, I, you know, some of the things that I'm, I've withheld forgiveness for, I'm, I'm kind of waiting on a public apology. <coughs> and it's not gonna come, and I know it's not coming. And I've got it in my replated in my head what that would look like so many times. That's um, not coming. But at the same time, that doesn't just because that isn't coming doesn't let those folks off the hook for um, crimes. I'm gonna go a little more benign than political viewpoint just just because. Um, <laughs> I think about all the things that people have done that just piss me off, and, um, and how hard it is to forgive me. And then I remember that I've done some things to piss other people off, and that kept them up at night and kept them wondering. And I had no idea, <coughs> none whatsoever. Uh, I played with Facebook for about three months before I decided that was a waste of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, somebody got 
was like, hi, how you doing? And it was a guy, and he explained himself, gave a face to himself. I even saw the tag of the guy. To this day, I still don't know who he is. <laughs> and I feel bad because it meant something for him to talk to me. It meant something for him to connect with me 15, 20 years later to say, hi, how are you? And for me to say, I don't know who you are. And he's giving me pictures of odd pictures and giving me, you know, we talked here, we talked there. That's rough, I, you know? And, and to know that it's like, that's how when people sin against me, and I consider it sin, that's pretty much how it is for them. It's like, I wish I could help you, but I honestly don't remember me doing something like that. I don't even remember saying a phrase like that, but you seem to remember that I said that, so maybe I did. And it's like, how do you even make compensation for something that you don't feel bad about because you have no memory that you did, you know? And, um, things like that that kind of at least practically speaking I'm more likely to be affected on a daily basis by my interactions with people than anything else and, and I've got people I work with that they're just not like me you know they're there to have a good time they want to have fun work production's not a big deal for them me work 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 so I'm pretty sure I'm pretty boring to be around because all I want are results and they want to have a good time, and I need the work done. And there's this constant tension because of that. And I know that for them, this is really important. This is how they are. This is what makes them feel alive, and I have to respect that. And I'm having to fight with the whole issue of they're not like me. This world would be so much better if more people were like me. And that's just at work. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the drive home. <laughs> you know, the drive to people in my complex. I mean, there's just so many, and they're all coming from things that are very important to them. I'm clueless on, and how they respond sometimes keeps me up at night until I sometimes think about, can't wait till I hear what I've done that's made this person's life miserable. And that's, those are the narratives, and I wish I could fly a little bit lighter on them. Is there, is there understanding of the kingdom of heaven, that paradigm, that it is good for us on earth, that it's, it's the best way for me, if I, if I believe it, live it, like forgiving people's good for me? <laughs> is that our, our understanding of it? I, that, I want to hear that because I know it's probably good for everybody else if I forgive them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe it's good for me. Mm-hmm. I, I believe I, I buy into it because I think it's my best life. Mm-hmm. If I treat everybody well, my life will be better. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and not just out of selfishness, but that's a that's a that's a little kind of side advantage of the kingdom of heaven. It's good for you as well. Mm-hmm. And so, if that's true. It's better for any paradigm to forgive people. And you might see other Muslims forgiving people too who might not you know, buy into the kingdom of heaven that we talk about maybe. Or other other people experiencing forgiveness. And hey, this forgiveness thing's good for me. You know, it's like so it, it may just be a truth sure. that it's better for you. So it, is it better for you? If so, it's it's like paradigm proof. You know? So is it, it's not that 
So, so I want to ask, is, it, is, is part of the kingdom of heaven that your life is better on earth if you kind of buy fully into it? Mm. That's my question. The abundant life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's not true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's true. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I've learned to drive like my dad drives. Let the Get way behind people. Let people in front of you. Because you're not in the battle. Mm-hmm. Your life is so much better. <laughs> he gets in. He would go last. Me and Fletcher Shrigley would fight to go last in the, in the fellowship hall dinners at Old Otter Creek. And I'm like, they're not going to get the fried chicken. But they're also not going to have to fight and be embarrassed about who grabbed two pieces of fried chicken and the last piece of bread. They don't, they're not in the battle. They're not in that battle. They're just some different paradigm. I'm like, and they are so happy talking in the back of the line. <laughs> well, it's also because whatever's left, I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I guess, um, a reality to share with. A reality that I've given to is when I think about how I want to be forgiven, I know that I mess up and I like I go above and beyond to prove to this person like I will do anything for you to forgive me. If you want me to say sorry, I'll say sorry. If you want me to do whatever you want to for the rest of your life if you want me to give in to it. Because when I genuinely feel like I need forgiveness from you, I'm going to do it. So I feel like when people do that to me, I feel like, okay, shouldn't their mindset be the same? Shouldn't mm-hmm. theirs be, okay, I need Brianna to forgive me. Let me do whatever I can for her to forgive me. So mm-hmm. when I see that people that I want to forgive aren't really wanting that forgiveness from me, mm-hmm. I get upset and I'm like, yeah. okay. They don't want it because they keep doing what they're doing or they keep hurting me, whether it's the same way they did the first time or it's a different way the next time. They keep doing something to make me mad at them, for me to need to forgive them. And so it's like, okay, if they don't want it, I'm not going to give it to them. And I guess as I got older, that's when I realized, okay, by not forgiving them, it's not hurting them, obviously. (laughs) It's hurting yourself because you're holding on to it like, this person never let me forgive them, so I'm mad at them. I'm going to continue to be mad at them. I'm going to think in my head I forgave them, even if they don't want it, but I'm still mad. Mm. So is that really forgiveness? Mm. So it's my reality I've given to is like, I don't need to forgive them because they don't want my forgiveness, and I'll be better off without them. Mm. But I won't. Because I'll still think about them, and I'll still think about how they hurt me, and I'll let that build up, and it'll, let, it'll make, affect other people in my life. And it's like, that's what I don't want. Mm. So that's the reality that I've given into. It's like, even though they don't want it, I need to forgive them. Even if they don't feel sorry for what they did. Mm. You need to forgive them. For your own good. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Because it's a cancer. And you realize it when you see how you're not sleeping anymore. Mm. Or it's always right in front of you. And you can't see anything else. And it's like, I've got to call because this is now borderline obsession. And the harder part is, is that you may not get the forgiveness the way you want it, you, you know. And, and when they say, sorry, they may mean it. Well, it sure didn't look it, but you have to take it at the face value, even though it doesn't fit into, I guess, the narrative that you've set for this is how the face of forgiveness looks when you're really sorry. And um, it's tough because, you know, 
everybody is their own person and there's like what seven billion different ways of saying I'm sorry and they're all probably pretty original. That's uncomfortable. Thanks everyone for for sharing that. Uh, my hope is that we've sort of begun to till some ground so that even as we go through the next week, we can maybe even just spend a few minutes thinking through what are some of the, the pivotal or defining moments in our stories, whether, again, that's more personal, something within our family, um, or just unique to us as individuals, or something on a larger scale, culturally speaking, what have we experienced? Big, significant, pivotal moments, and begin to ask yourself, okay, what what truths came out of that? Meaning, um, not necessarily are they true, but what did I believe to be true? Or what did we believe to be true? What story did those experiences communicate to me and to us that then shaped the way that we lived from that point on or responded from that point on? And just begin to sort of collect some of those narratives in your awareness and then begin sort of asking the question, okay, with, if that narrative was really the truest form of reality, then how would forgiveness square in that? How would it would square up in that, in that story? Um, so again, that hopefully we can, we can increase our awareness in that so that as we continue to go through the next few weeks and we're talking about some of these concept, concepts more in depth, we can be asking the question, um, are those stories true? Might we need to spend some time really evaluating them, evaluating the hold that they've had on us, and what would it look like to be hearing, thinking through, experiencing this concept of forgiveness within the kingdom, with that being what we believe to be the truest story, the truest narrative, the truest form of reality, wherein Jesus is Lord. Um, next week, we'll spend some time talking about some of some of the theological truths that we hold to specifically that then inform the ways that we think about narr- uh, think about forgiveness really specifically. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for, for being here this morning. Yeah. Should we pray? You want to pray, Jerry? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, thank you. Um, everybody in the circle has felt hurt, they felt wronged, they've done wrong, and they've inflicted hurt. And so I'm just thankful for the relevance of this discussion, what it means to us. All of us is different, we come from different perspectives, but I'm excited to to see the things that you teach us, that your spirit will lead us into, and I pray that we can name some hurts, um, and that we can forgive, and we know that in Christ, that you're working this great, this great work. It's in your hands, Father. Mr. Jesus, we pray. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad you guys are here. Uh,